let me recap where we went last night. If you weren't here last night, uh, and tonight's your first night, that's not a problem. I want to just give you a quick catch up. So the, the theme of what we're getting into this weekend is strangers and exiles. We are those who, if we live as Christians, are going to be foreign to the culture around us. And, and we talked about how living for Christ and truly following what the Bible says will actually, um, it will put us outside of some circles in this culture. In fact, it will cost us something is what we spent some time talking about. And we looked at John chapter 6 where Jesus says some hard because of suffering and pain and struggles in their life and they just go I don't understand how God could allow this I don't understand where God is in the midst of this and so people walk away because of that some people will walk away because uh, what we desire to do in our lives uh, conflicts with what the Bible says to do in other words what we want to do doesn't mesh with what God says for us to do and so we choose to walk away from him to do and live how we want to live we also talked about how what we will bump into is if we're committed to being a Christian, we'll find ourselves in a place where following what the scripture says is going to go against what the world says. What is fashionable, what is popular in our culture, it will rub against the grain of that. And so many walk away because they would rather have the approval of people than of God. And, and so we ask the question, will you walk away too? Many walk away, will you walk away too? And Peter's response to Jesus is what we want our response to be, which is where else would we go? To who else would we turn? He alone has the words of life. So that's the one that we want to run after. And so we're going to continue to pick up that theme tonight. The name of the message is Strangers and Exiles Resolve to Live for God. We resolve to live for God. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Daniel 1. We'll get there in a minute. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to spend some time. But as you're making your way there, let me ask this question. Have you ever been in a situation where you were either overdressed or underdressed for an occasion or an event. Raise your hand if you've ever had that happen. It is a terrible, terrible feeling. Okay? Either way is awful. If you are underdressed, you look pitiful. Right? People will look at you like, ooh, you know, like, I didn't know it was that bad in your life right now, you know? And, and if you're overdressed, people look at you like you're a schmuck. You know, it's like, oh, Mr. Fancy Pants came in here with this you know, all dressed up. Um, either way is never good, right? You stand out if you're overdressed, if you're underdressed. I remember doing a wedding <laughs> recently, it was in the summer, and um, the family told me it was going to be casual, and they told me it was going to be in the backyard. So when you think casual and backyard, you're not thinking like, oh, okay, this is going to be, you know, put your best on. Um, I, I was wearing some like dress jeans, you know, like dress jeans, I mean like dark jeans, some these boots, had a button-up shirt on, a button-up, uh, you know, shirt with collar, and I had a blazer on, no tie. And I felt like, yeah, I'm doing, I'm, I'm meeting the expectation here. Casual, backyard, this looks the part for the guy marrying the people. When I show up, y'all, this place had been transformed. It was a backyard wedding that had about $50,000 put into the backyard. I mean, like, full stage, full floor for dancing. I mean, like, tent overhang in case it rained. All these flowers, all these things. And the bride and the groom were dressed to the nine, and so was every guest. And I'm sitting there like, are you kidding me right now? I look like Bubba up here doing this, doing this wedding, okay? I look like the most country bumpkin, like, where did y'all find this dude at, uh, you know, minister of the wedding. And it was so embarrassing. I was like, I cannot wait to say, kiss the bride, and I am bouncing from this place. 
right? I'm getting out of here. That's not the kind of standing out anyone wants to do, right? There, there's times where it's like standing out for a sports achievement or something. We're like, we're all about that, right? Standing out for an academic achievement. Being overdressed or underdressed is never the standout you want to have, right? What we're talking about tonight is that if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to live in this world as those who actually follow the Scripture's teaching, who actually obey God and live for God, listen, it will cause you to stand out in the negative way. And what I mean in the negative way is I mean like in the way the world responds to you. In, in the way that people will receive you, the way that people will evaluate you, you will stand out negatively. You're going to look different than everyone around you. And I want us to look at that tonight and have us begin to think through what does it mean then, therefore, to live for God in a world in which you're going to stand out. Let's look together at Daniel 1. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to just begin reading in verses 1 through 7, and then we'll just kind of just summarize and, and talk about a few points after we read it. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them in literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. So in this story, you're introduced to um, really something that I don't know if you've ever noticed this or picked up on this or not. Um, but this is the first real um, invasion and overthrow of Israel uh, that has taken place. In fact, what happens here... His life is just moving along in Israel, moving along in Judea, which is the southern part of Israel. And here comes an invading army. The Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar come invading. And it says in verse 2 that the Lord gives them over to King Nebuchadnezzar. The Lord gives over Israel to the Babylonians. As a result of this, they come in, they ransack the temple and send the stuff back to Babylon not only do they do that, but they begin to take inventory of all the different people found in Israel. They, they single out the royal family, and they single out all the nobility. And then they start looking at the youth. Let's find the, the best, the brightest, the most beautiful. Let's find those with the biggest capacity to learn and to grow. In other words, let's pluck the best ones out, and let's send them back to our home, to Babylon. And there what we'll do is we'll teach them a new language, we'll teach them all of our literature, all of our history, we'll school them in the way of our culture, and we'll give them new names and new identities on top of it. That's what's just taken place for a group of teenagers just like you. Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. These four men have been plucked from their homes 
Their worlds have been turned upside down and they've been shipped off to a whole new world. Now, here's the question as we begin to think about this and we begin to see this. One, everything in their life just changed in a moment. The world that they grew up in where the God of their God, uh, of their nation, of their people had saved them and spared them from foreign nation after foreign nation. God gave them victory over armies that had always been stronger than them, always more forceful, more powerful. In fact, when more powerful nations and oppressive kings had come in or had, had taken those people, God rescued, God spared, God delivered as he did with Pharaoh and other kings. This is the stories they grew up hearing. Their God is the God over all. He can spare and rescue and deliver them from anyone. And all of a sudden, when the foreign armies come in, I'm assuming like any other time, they would have thought, well, our God's going to save us. That's what he does. And then he doesn't. He doesn't. Before you know it, the armies have come in and they've taken hold of the city and they've plucked them from their families and they no longer see their mom, their dad, their siblings, their friends, their dreams of a life that they're going to live in their homeland, having their own families, done. They don't even get to keep their names. They go to a place they don't even know how to speak the language. That's what's happened in their lives. Now here's the question. This is the question I want us to look at. Will they live faithful in this foreign land? Will they live faithful to God in a land that's foreign to them? And if so, will it be noticed and will it cost them? Will they be faithful to live for God in the midst of this foreign land? If they do, will it be noticed? Will it stand out? And if it does, will it cost them? That's the question we're going to look at. So you go on to Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel 3, and the story unfolds. It goes on to tell us that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they commit to obeying God alone. And so all these different you know, rules and regulations begin coming down to them in this new land. They're told that they're supposed to take on a new diet, but they don't follow it. They only eat what the Lord has told them in his word is permissible. Not only that, but they are committed to praying to the Lord alone, and they pray multiple times a day. On top of that, though, they're also excelling in their learning. They're not just being obstinate. They're not acting like they're, you know, they're dense and they can't understand anything. They're actually excelling. They're growing. They're learning. But the other thing that they refuse to do is when a king puts out a decree that they're going to worship and bow down to a statue of him, they refuse to do so. In other words, in all that they're doing, they're, they're staying committed to their God and to his word over anything else in that culture. They're not following what they say is permissible to eat. They're not following their rules of worship and bowing down to a king who's not God. They're not doing it. They're staying faithful. When there's a challenge against God's word, they're staying faithful to God's word. And when it's not a challenge, they're willingly embracing and learning and doing the things that they need to do. They're learning the language. They're learning the culture. They're excelling at it. They're able to separate out what is okay and what is not permissible for them. I want you to see this. It's really important for those of us who live in a foreign land, who want to live as Christians in this world, that you need to know certain things are okay to learn. 
certain things are okay to embrace. It's okay to learn about art and literature, and it's okay to learn new languages. It's okay to, to learn st- different skill sets and traits that may not even be found in the Bible. There may not be positive, negative, anything commentary about it in the Bible. But there are things in our culture that they're going to, to approve, they're going to applaud, they're going to celebrate, they're going to force upon you that you're going to have to ask this question. Will I bow down? Will I go against what God says, or will I stay faithful to him? They choose faithfulness. Does it get them noticed? It does. Not only does it get, it, get them noticed, it gets them summoned to the king. So King Nebuchadnezzar gets word that these Hebrew boys are not bowing down. Everybody else in the nation does it, which makes them stand out when they don't. And so he summons them to his chambers and he says, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you don't bow down and worship the image that I've set up? When you hear the sounds of the harp and the lyre and the trigon, he goes through the whole deal with them. He says, if you would, I'll give you a chance now. When you hear the sound of these instruments, you can bow down and you can worship me. All will be well and fine and good. But if you don't, what God will save you from my hand. He threatens to put them in a burning furnace to take their life. And now they're confronted with this question right here. Will we choose to bow or will we die? Will we bow to obey the king or will we die to obey the Lord? That's the choice. Now, if you know the whole story, Don't read into what you already know about the story into their minds. They have no idea that they're going to be spared from a fiery furnace. If you've read this story, then you know how it ends up going, how they get thrown into the furnace and God prevents the fire from burning them. And in fact, there's a fourth figure in the fire that's seen, which is there's a song about now we sing in churches. And and then, and then. Nebuchadnezzar sees them and sees this fourth figure and he's freaked out and he calls them out of the fire. They're not burned. They don't even smell of smoke. Okay, you know all that, but they don't. Their assumption is this. We bow and live, we refuse and die. Are you with me? That's what's in front of them. Here's my question to you. What would you do in that situation? You've been plucked out of your home. Everything is foreign to you. Your friends, your parents, distant memories. It's been years now since you've seen them. Even your old name doesn't ring in your ears anymore because it's not the name you ever hear. They gave you a new name. Your whole identity is kind of shaken. You're in a foreign land. Would you choose to be obedient to God alone? Would you choose to live by his word in the midst of a culture that's going to ridicule it and persecute you for it? That's the choice that they're facing. Now, before we continue back in their response to Nebuchadnezzar, here's what I want to just hit the pause button on, and I want to kind of bring it into our world today. We live in a world today where there is absolutely a cultural doctrine and a cultural orthodoxy that the world expects you to adhere to. You know what I mean by an orthodoxy or a doctrine? That means right 
thinking, right teaching, proper, proper teaching, the truth. There's a cultural gospel that exists in our world today. There's a cultural doctrine, a cultural orthodoxy that exists, and there are preachers of this orthodoxy. They're preaching it to you all the time. They're the musicians we listen to. It's the actors that we watch. It's the politicians that are on the TV or in our states. It's the professors that are in our universities. It's the athletes that we love to listen to. Those are the preachers and the prophets of today's cultural orthodoxy, today's cultural truth. And don't get mistaken, these preachers are trying to convert and disciple you. They're trying to convert you, they're trying to disciple you, and they do it through their sermons, and they do it by catechizing you. It's happening all around you. Do you know what it looks like? You know how they preach to you, how they catechize you and disciple you? They do it through movies. There's always a message. They do it through music. They do it through award speeches. They do it through political speeches. They do it through TV shows. They do it in their interviews. In other words, if you just start listening and watching and pay attention, do you know how our world gets shaped into following the cultural orthodoxy? We're being preached to it all the time, to the things that we're absorbing. Gang, it's happening all around you every day. And if you don't think there's an orthodoxy, oh, friends, you're wrong. Their goal is to make converts, those who believe what they believe. And if you don't convert, they're going to be constantly calling you to confession and repentance and nothing less. I don't know if you caught up with or remember this happening. Um, the Hallmark Channel at, the, at Christmas time played a movie. I'm sorry, played a commercial in which there were uh, two people of the same sex who shared a kiss. It was quick, it was fast, it was in a montage of a bunch of things. But the response to that was a, a bunch of people reached out to Hallmark and bombarded Hallmark and said, hey, this is inappropriate, this does not need to be on your channel. And they pulled the ad or they edited the ad where it didn't include that. And they kept airing the ad. Well, when the LGBTQ activists heard about this, they responded to Hallmark. And they sat down and they said, if you don't not only put this back in, but if you don't make up for this, we're going to have all of your sponsors boycott you. We're going to leverage our authority, our pressure, our influence, our power, and we're going to bring you down. So what did Hallmark do? It confessed its sin, and then it repented. You know how it repented? It aired the commercial back the way it was before, and it promised that they would star, they would have movies that they would produce and show that would star LGBTQ couples, lead characters in their movies, which they had previously not done before. They were converted to the cultural orthodoxy because to not be on the right side of that cultural orthodoxy will cost you. And you see this everywhere. Chick-fil-A recently came out and said they're not directing their nonprofit resources towards certain organizations that they used to because now those are considered 
anti-LGBTQ. And now they're directing resources towards things that are pro-LGBTQ. Do you remember the Gillette commercial about toxic masculinity? And do you remember these things? These things are happening all around you. They're not incidental. They're not, they're not just kind of these neutral things. Guys, there is a, there is a goal out there to convert everyone to this orthodoxy. They preach their gospel louder than we do. But make no mistake, to convert you, to disciple you through the sermons that they preach in their movies, their music, their speeches, their shows, their interviews, the goal is to have you confess your shortcomings and to repent of them. And listen, 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 listen. If you don't, if you don't bow when the heart, the lyre, the trigon sounds and face towards the statue, if you don't say it's okay and it's good, what they say is okay and good, listen to me, you will be considered a heretic. You familiar with that word? The word heretic is usually used when churches are talking about people who don't follow sound doctrine. They teach improper doctrine. Gang, you will be called a heretic because you don't follow the cultural orthodoxy. You're unorthodox. You are a heretic. And here's what you will experience if you live as a heretic without repenting. You will be excommunicated. You will be outside the community. You will be outside of the accepted community. Do you realize that's what's happening in our world right now? That's what's happening. And I look at you, gang, and my heart goes out to you because, look, you've got so much pressure on you every day. You've got so much pressure on you every day to bow and to conform to this. You're having it indoctrinated into you all the time. Do you realize that your generation's view towards sexuality and gender issues is light years different than generations prior? And here's why. It's not because your generation is not good or, or previous generations were better. It's because the, the, the preaching and the discipling of our culture has been ramped up in your years. You're swimming in this ocean. In fact, listen, unless you live in a Christian ghetto, you know what I mean by that? Where the only people you ever see are Christians. You just never get outside the ghetto of your Christian people. Which you just can't live that way, I promise you. Some, some do, but they can't make any impact in the world. Unless you're living isolated from everyone, I promise you, you're going to be in a culture that is against the grain of the Bible's teachings. And if you're going to be a committed follower of Christ, if you're going to be someone who actually follows the scriptures, listen, are you willing to be a heretic? And it's easy inside these walls right here to say, yeah, yeah, I will. I want to. I want to, I want to stand. I, I don't care if they excommunicate me. I'm not going to bow the knee. I'm not going to convert and repent. Will you say that when it costs you, though? What about in the circle of friends that you're running around with at school and you're looked at as the person that's got an arm growing out of their forehead because you don't believe in the sexuality ethics that are promoted every day? What about when you think that this crazy idea that there's such a thing as a man and a woman and that's the two genders, that crazy thought will get you out of the orthodoxy. 
look, I know it's uncomfortable in here right now, but it's okay because, look, if you can't live in this, this you're going to experience this from now until the end of your life. Every day is going to be this challenge that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego face. Are you going to bow the knee? It's always going to be easier to bow the knee. Can I just tell you, it's easier not to go against the grain of the current. It's easier not to do that. You don't have to exert any effort. You can just relax and you'll just float right down the stream with everybody. If you're going to live upstream, it's a lot of effort and work and it's exhausting. You're going to be called names. You're going to be told how unloving you are and narrow-minded you are. And nobody likes to be on that end of names, right? Nobody likes to stand out in that way, do we? This is what we talked about. No one wants to stand out for those things. Has anybody in here seen the interview that Justin Bieber did recently, just recently, where he's talking about coming back to faith and the things he's realized about following Jesus? Anybody in here seen that? Four of you. Awesome. So um, you can go watch it. It's actually pretty interesting. It's really profound. Um, The way he's talking, it sounds like he genuinely understands what the Christian faith is. He, he says words like, the world is broken and man is not inherently good and we're sinners who need a savior and following Jesus is primarily about repentance. He, I was like, who is this dude? Now watch, 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 watch. But nothing he said is going to stir up anything yet. But the moment someone levels the question at him that says this, Justin, What are your views on sexuality? What are your views about gender? If he is orthodox biblically, then he will be a heretic culturally. And as beloved as he may be by the culture now, they will pounce on him. They will cancel him. What about you? I'm not saying you got to go out and plaster, you know, provocative messages out there so you can stir up debate and show people how, you know, how committed to the Bible you are. But here's what I am saying. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego didn't go out of their way to stand out. You know what made them stand out? Simply being faithful. That's what made them stand out. Simply being committed first and foremost to what God says. Eventually, guys, listen, eventually... It puts the spotlight on you. My biggest concern, not just for your generation, but for the church right now in America, the church I pastor, filled with people who are in their 70s and 80s all the way down to their 20s, my biggest concern is can they stand under the pressure and the weight of not walking with cultural orthodoxy. Biblical Christians have to be willing to live as cultural heretics. Are you willing to wear that moniker? Are you willing to have that title? So Nebuchadnezzar threatens Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, bow the knee, or die. Here's verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us 
from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Their response to Nebuchadnezzar is this. Our God can save us. He can protect us. He can spare us any of the consequences that faithfulness might bring. But even if he doesn't, even if you ridicule us, even if you ostracize us, even if you excommunicate us from the community, we will not bow the knee. We will not compromise. Because rather than pleasing Nebuchadnezzar, what these men want to do, listen, is honor God. They know Nebuchadnezzar's reign is this long, but the reign of God is forever. They know that the cultural moment will pass and that the God's kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, will rule and reign forever. Which kingdom do you want to be obedient in? The kingdoms of this world? Those things will pass. You, have, you often hear people say, you want to make sure you're on the right side of history. Guys, the arc of history is really long and it bends towards God. He is the one ultimately who will define history. And it's all heading towards a day in which he will judge the nations. Don't worry about being on the right side of history as the world declares it. They said, even if God doesn't save us, even if God doesn't remove us from the fire, we won't serve your gods. We won't worship the golden image. We won't bow. We won't confess and repent of our commitment to Scripture. We're not going to be a convert to your cultural orthodoxy. This is the world you live in today. It's foreign hostile and it's threatening to cancel you if you don't get on board here's the question I want you to ask yourself right now will you bow the knee or will you be willing to stand out as a stranger in exile in this world Something that I think is fascinating for you to consider tonight is that if you stand alone, it may be much harder for you to stand. Let's just be really honest. If it's everybody against just you, it can be really hard to stand for the things of God. When I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing before the king, you know what I've often thought about? I wonder what would have happened if they'd have been alone. I wonder what would have happened if it would have been just Shadrach in front of the king. Just Abednego. Just Nebuchadnezzar. Would they would have cracked? Would they would have caved? Would they would have failed? I don't know. But you know what I do know? I know for a fact that they gained strength by locking arms with one another. They gained strength 
in the fact that they weren't alone, but there were other people willing to resist the urge to bow. And when you demonstrate courage to live for the things of God in this world, here's what you maybe don't realize, is that there are other people watching and not everybody wants to bow. Not everybody wants to conform. So many do it because they're trying to protect themselves. They don't want to say anything that's going to get them attacked. They don't want to stand out. Maybe your courage, maybe our courage will give others the courage to to stand and not bow. To not conform. To not repent and turn ourselves over to the orthodoxy and the doctrine and the gospel of our age. This is why you need each other. This is why you can strengthen each other. There's no, there's no you know, heroism in being alone. Lean on each other. Encourage each other. In your schools. Know that you're not alone. Not everybody's just eating this stuff up and absorbing it. You can be defiant against these things and stand out if you're willing to be the heretic. So what will it be for you? Will you be the heretic who stands out? Or will you bow so that you fit in? Would you bow your heads with me tonight? I just want to give you a few moments. And I want to ask you to take some time to reflect. I, I want you to think about the world you live in today, the pressures that you face and that you feel today. To affirm the cultural the culture's view of sexuality, to confirm the hookup culture that exists today, that you would conform to the way gender is discussed, the way abortion is talked about, all these things that you're told to get in line with. They go right against the grain of what God's word says. It will always be easier for you to conform. I just want you to feel that. And that's why so many do it. This is why the road is wide that leads to destruction and few find it. But narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few find it. Because it's not an easy road. It's not the road where everybody's walking it on your left and right in ease. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you willing to follow the Lord and His Word? Not just when it goes against your preferences, like we talked about last night. What about when it goes against the entirety of what our culture says? We can't live as strangers and exiles if we just conform. 
Maybe tonight you need to recognize the areas in which you've already conformed. In what ways have you just adopted the cultural gospel? Maybe because your favorite athlete said it. Or your favorite actress. Maybe a book you read or a movie you watched indoctrinated you. Maybe a group of friends that you have or that you want have expressed their views on certain things and you don't want to go against that. Maybe tonight you need to confess before the Lord, not the culture, and repent before the Lord, not the culture, that His ways are right and they're just and they're true and they're beautiful. More precious than gold and honey to our lips is the Word of God. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. What kind of person are you going to be? For some of you, you've been living out the cultural orthodoxy because you don't belong to Christ. You've never had a commitment to follow Christ to begin with. And that's where it starts. You've got to crawl out to Him. You have to acknowledge that His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the east is from the west is how far apart you are from Him. And you have to call out to Him and come. Believers in the room. You've got to ask the question about whether or not you're truly willing to be a public Christian and not just a private Christian. What if everybody on your basketball team doesn't believe the way you believe? Will you stand out or conform? When everybody on social media says one thing, will you adopt that view as well just so that you can fit in? Or will you stand out? Are you going to be a disciple of the culture tonight or are you going to be a heretic? Choose this day whom you will serve. If God, if the Lord is God, follow Him, serve Him. Choose this day who you'll serve. I said it last night, I'll say it again. The Lord is not interested in you giving him some part-time attention. He's not desperate and needy for you. It's a privilege to follow him. It's a privilege to be saved by amazing grace. That's why we should throw our whole lives towards following him in everything. Are you doing that? Father, tonight, you search our hearts and you know us, examine us to see if there's any wrongdoing in our hearts, in our lives, in our thinking. Holy Spirit, would you convict tonight? Reveal the ways in which we conform so quickly to the world for its acceptance. How we so quickly let the word of the world shape our beliefs 
over your word. And may we repent. May we acknowledge it tonight as evil and wicked and turn from it. Oh Lord, may your gaze and and looking in our direction be of more concern for us than the world. That what you think would be of more desire for us than what people around us think. Liberate us from needing to fit in. Break us free from the slavery of conforming. It's not radical to believe what our world believes. It's doing what everyone does. It's the easiest thing that you could do. Please help these students. Please convict them. Please open their eyes. Not to follow you when it's convenient in the church halls. But they would follow you in the school halls. And in the university halls. And in the courthouse halls. And in their workplace halls. That in every place they would belong to you and not bow the knee even when they find themselves in a foreign land. May our commitments to you, O oh God, make this land more and more foreign each day. May our devotion and obedience to you make us a stranger and exile. We pray, Jesus, all this in your name, the name of the one who faced all the mockery and ridicule in order to save those who are so quick to conform. You came to save those who are slow to acknowledge you. You came to save those who quickly trade in obedience for acceptance. So would you do a work in us, Jesus, we pray. Amen.